Hello, and welcome to another episode of Significant Stories, the History of Science podcast from Harvard University. This is episode two of a three-part series on health and healing. I'm Chris Shequin, and in today's episode, we're going to hear the story of Camille Mahmed and that of the Afar tribe in East Africa. As we heard in our last episode with Maya and Judy, biopiracy is not only a real and integral part of the history of medicine, it is still occurring, and unfortunately, its victims are some of those most in need. In this episode, we'll explore the context in which cultural healing integrates with Western medicine, specifically in the Afar region fixed between three nations, Ethiopia, Eritrea, and Djibouti. Before going to Harvard, I was a medic in the United States Army, where I ultimately became a medical advisor for a civil affairs unit and deployed to Djibouti, Africa. On this deployment, I worked with USAID and the State Department, as well as many NGOs, to develop critical infrastructure to include power, water, education, and medical care. We were only able to succeed because of a truly amazing individual, a person I now call Mal Frere, my brother, Camille. So thank you for having me, my friend, uh, Chris. In addition to an abundance of patience with my horrible French, Camille is an incredibly smart, driven, and compassionate individual. He's a proud father and husband. He speaks eight languages and has worked with the UNHCR, USAID, State Department, U.S. military, and countless NGOs. Last year, he was selected to be a fellow for the Mandela Washington Fellowship for Young African Leaders. He'll be coming to the United States to receive his graduate education next year after this pandemic allows for safe international travel, and then will continue his work in growing the educational access in the Horn of Africa, particularly for his Afar tribe. Camille is a truly exceptional individual and has accomplished it alone. But Camille, like so many Afar people, has had to overcome an immense amount of adversity in order to be where he is today. Life is not easy in uh, back uh, home. So I grew up and I born in Djibouti and uh, I raised by single mom. My father passed away when I was young. I don't remember him. I was a baby. It was a car accident, as my mother told me, and uh, she was alone. She was desperate, you know, and she never tell you the reality was happening on her. But she tried to uh, make life easy for you. In our community, they are nomads. So we didn't get a chance to go to school, uh, like uh, in a, a 10% out of 100%. So she gave me that opportunity and that platform to do something for uh, others. You know, so, uh, she teach me uh, to be a, a better person, to, uh, to take care to the neighbors. What is so inspiring about Camille to me is not just what he's overcome, but how hard he works to help others around him. Camille is a proud member of the Afar tribe, an often forgotten nation of people without a border, living for millennia in the regions now considered to be Djibouti, Ethiopia, and Eritrea. Post-colonial borders have divided this region into separate countries, in which the Afar tribe is an often slighted minority population. I'm proud to be Afar, and uh, one of uh, Afar tribe. Afar tribe, uh, they call a minority right now, and they live in Eritrea, in Djibouti, and in Ethiopia. In every country, they are under other community, other tribe. It's a long way to go, and my priority is like focusing how to make a change. 60% of Afar is under is nomadic and uneducated. They have a lack of access to healthcare, lack of access to education, who we are. It's not easy. Most Americans and Westerners are unfamiliar with Djibouti and Eritrea, let alone the Afar tribe. 
The FR people have lived in the hottest region on Earth for millennia, drawing a proud ancestry back to the now infamous Lucy. The Australopithecus remains perhaps the mother of humanity, and certainly the mother of the Afar tribe, culturally. The Afar people are a nomadic people, following livestock and water around for some of the most austere terrain on the planet, with the equatorial temperatures reaching over 120 degrees Fahrenheit, or 50 degrees Celsius, with only 4 inches of rain per year on average. This climate mandates a nomadic lifestyle, which means that fixed infrastructure like wells, solar arrays, schools, and hospitals are not a reality. This means that the Afar people have relied upon their own customs to survive for thousands of years, including French colonization in Djibouti, globalization in which roughly 10% of the world's economy flows by on the way to the Suez Canal, and gross regional instability from conflicts in Yemen, Somalia, and now a resurgence of armed conflict between Ethiopia and Eritrea. These external forces have greatly affected the Afar people, and have made it extremely difficult for them to stick with their cultural traditions which have endured Camille's people for millennia. If I talk about Afar, it will be a long day uh, about Afar history and uh, who they are, especially their warriors. They didn't get along with the colonized people. That's why we are discriminating from all things. You can have uh, access in the big city, hospitals, clinic, and uh, water, good water. But when you go to the villages, it's not easy. I know life is very difficult. I have been there, you have been there. What these people are suffering a lot. You know, uh, you can see in the road, they can ask you water. That's the reality. They are not asking for a farm. But I know how many distance it takes. So that's a big challenge. Also medical care, and they're suffering a lot. And uh, I know the government, they're they trying to have uh, clinics. But uh, I know maternity sometimes, you know, she gives birth in the middle of the road. Now we are in the 21st century. And... There's no hospitals, there's no clinics, you know, in some uh, villages. And when you sit down with them and they don't take it out, feelings, emotions, they can't tell you how proud they are. Life is not easy. I'm not strong enough, but my fathers, my fathers, they proud, they, they are strong enough. They, uh, they live for a long life and uh, they are proud of themselves. Uh, we depend on the culture. You know, uh, our culture is uh, like diversity and um, we have uh, cultural medicine, you know, in the villages, they're still existing, they're depending on it. What Camille calls cultural healing is a history of medical knowledge and locally sourced treatments. Cultural healing continues alongside what we in the West consider to be more traditional healthcare practices. Camille is quick to point out that the FR people have a proud history of healers using locally sourced botanical material to treat illness and injury. Camille conducted some interviews with cultural healers on my behalf and explained what they had to say. Yeah, his name is Ahmed. Mm -hmm. uh, they call him, they call him uh, Sheikh Ahmed, and he's a well-known uh, cultural uh, doctor. And he's in Djibouti, and, uh, and he treats different uh, sickness. He told me, like, um, I treat uh, ulcer, gastric, kidney infection, and also broken legs, what you call, for the blinding eyes also. Uh, uh, also, he have like water, alcohol to drink uh, for the kidney, for stomach. And he say, the way doctors they treat, I treat different sickness by my own materials, right. by cultural materials, by, um, 
uh, grass or tree uh, leaf, green leaves. But mm -hmm. every leaf has its own uh, its own names by Arabic, and it's not everybody can do it. I can't do it for you because mm -hmm. it's not. It's a part of culture, and right. it's part of yeah. It's part of ethnicity, who you are. These local treatments have allowed the Afar people to survive for thousands of years. In research for this project, I found over 50 plants in the Afar region currently being studied by Western pharmaceutical developers for new potential treatments for malaria, diphtheria, infections, parasites, and so much more. There's also research being conducted on the microbial healing properties of camel milk and goat's milk in the region in order to support a multitude of regional illnesses. This research inspired and troubled me at the same time. I find it amazing that this research is being conducted in the first place, and that its potential healing ability could greatly increase the lives of many people in this region, not just for that of the FR tribe, but even globally. And this is where I began to get worried. What prevents these researchers and big pharma companies from exploiting the FR people? I asked Camille what he thought about this potential exploitation. Yeah, uh, it should be insults for me personally, mm -hmm. because uh, uh, if uh, you can come and join the community and, you know, they can give you. And uh, they don't, uh, you, if you explain why you are using that plant, mm -hmm. and if uh, you go back to your homeland and uh, you don't help back to the community, that will be worried uh, for us. But if you go and if you do something, uh, medicine, open the clinic or uh, building school and... Uh, uh, educating maybe 10 or 20 people to go to the university, that will be big impact. And that will be give, take away and take, give something and take right. away. Yes. Yeah. This makes so much sense to me. In order to be truly ethical, there needs to be give and take, with heavy emphasis added to the give. It needs to come from people who truly care about the FR people and are there with them, helping them, advocating for them, not just taking for them from a people who have already lost so much or are enduring so much hardship still today. While the sentiment moves me deeply, I wondered if this was at all possible in practicality. Camille once again educated me, telling me the inspiring story of Valerie Browning, an Australian missionary turned a far advocate for life. There's a woman called uh, Valerie Brown. She's mm -hmm. from Australia. And uh, when she came, she came by missionary and she was a nurse. Mm -hmm. She came to Djibouti and then she meets one interpreter and uh, then they become uh, husband and wife. They got married and they have now in Ethiopia one of the biggest NGO in our mm -hmm. region. They focus on health and education and uh, women's rights, also maternity stuff. Mm -hmm. They have a clinic. Uh, I work uh, as a voluntary for uh, two months in that NGO. and. They call her uh, Malika. Malika means good woman to give back. To give, you know, Malika is like uh, they call her our community. They mm -hmm. give her her own name, and she, she uh, like almost forty years now. She, uh, she have a kids there, and she's uh, become one of our part. And that's what we call the collaboration. You know, to give back to the community, and the community will be uh, you will be part of them. And you represent the whole of the country. And as a one person, all the community loves you, they will love you and they will love the country. So that's what you call a teamwork. Teamwork saves lives. 
There is human-to-human -human cooperation needed here, but also medical teamwork. The Afar people are proud and have been capable of surviving with their own cultural healing for hundreds of years now. They have an incredibly detailed knowledge of local flora and fauna, knowing what can save or harm them. And it is critical to include this knowledge into the teamwork and cooperation going forward without it just being exploited by Western pharma. There is, however, a need for education and medical services there still. These services must be given freely and openly. They must be given in a way that fits with the Afar culture and way of life. They must be given by people like Valerie, Browning, and Camille. And soon. Uh, they say Afar may disappear from this land because of lack of access in the medical and uh, education. And uh, I can't raise, I don't have, I don't have a, I don't have a way to raise my voice to speak to CNN or speak to big international media about my ourselves, how we are feeling and uh, where we are living and we can uh, work together and uh, they can make impact on lives and it will be big uh, partnership. This is the reality uh, our generation and I can see my friends, my friends dying but it's not easy to help him because of the economical issue. And that's our standard living. I love Camilo as my brother, and he's taught me so much that I fear I might not be able to give back as much as I have learned and taken from him and his people. But I can give Camille and the FR people, hopefully, a voice. It might be a small one, heard on a Harvard podcast, but I want to make sure that Camille is heard. I want to leave you with his final words here, so please... Listen to them, think about them, and find a way to share them with somebody else who might be impacted by them, as I have been. Thank you for having me and giving me opportunity. And uh, you are my brother, and you are uh, part of my journey, and uh, you are one of our fun, and uh, you, are, you dedicate yourself for my community and for, my, for me. Is uh, that's make make me like very emotional, and uh, also uh, to make impact others' life. That's a priority in human being, uh, regardless religion, regardless uh, ethnicity, color. You know, we are human being. So that's uh, we want to create. We want to make as a team a lot of young Ahmed or young Camille, or young Emily or Lucy, yeah. you know, to be a doctor, to be an engineer, to be a pilot, to be a um, scientist, to be a driver, to be someone in life. And we still have a lot of challenge and a lot of long way to go. And uh, as my mom always says to me, keep trying. Thank you, Camille. And thank you for the generosity you've shown me while in Africa and in the production of this interview. I hope you've enjoyed. Thank you for listening to Significant Stories, a history of science podcast from Harvard University. I'm Chris Shequin. Please check out the next episode in this series on health and healing from my friends Nick and CJ.